You're listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with your dating coach, Trip from TripAdvice.com. Do you struggle with getting girls to like you? You'll learn step-by-step how to talk to girls to create deep connections, whether it be for <laughs> one night of wild fun, a one-week fling. Are you currently involved in a sexual relationship? Or for a lifelong partner. Full of long-lasting pleasure. Here's your host, Trip. Welcome to the How to Talk to Girls podcast. This is your host, Trip from TripAdvice.com. I want to welcome you to the podcast. And today's episode is something really special. You know, we talk a lot about how to meet girls, how to talk to girls, how to become an attractive man. And I only do a few episodes on this specific topic, but I find it very interesting. And uh, I think it should be something that you should be learning about because you should know about everything related to relationships, sex, and dating. And of course, you already know from the title, we're talking about non-monogamous relationships. And and I'm not an expert at this. I'm still learning about what this area is really like and, and trying to understand more about it and what better to interview experts. And today we have an expert, a sexuality strategist or strategist, Caitlin V. Neal from Caitlin vneal.com. And if you want to check her out, that is in the show notes. But I want you to check out this interview that I did with her. And I'm really excited about this interview because, again, I don't know much about this world. And so I'm learning about it and I learn stuff on this episode. So if I'm learning stuff, you're going to be learning stuff. And that's what this is all about. And we talk about this idea of non-monogamy, And the different areas around it, open relationships, uh, having primaries, having secondaries. Uh, And this is stuff you're probably like, what is he talking about? We're going to learn about it in the podcast. You're going to learn about the five-step process in terms of how to create a non-monogamous relationship. What do you say to your girlfriend? What do you do if you don't have a girlfriend and you're solo and you're just going out there trying to you know, find people who are interested in having non-monogamous relationships or open relationships. What's the difference between those two? All of that is discussed, defined, and talked about on today's episode with Caitlin V. Neal. So get ready. Get ready to learn some stuff that you probably haven't learned before. And check this out. See if this is interesting to you. See if this is something that could be part of your lifestyle. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't. Maybe you don't know and it's something you want to test out. But start here on this episode to learn about it. So here's my interview with Caitlin and we're talking about non-monogamous relationships and what they're all about. Here it is. Hey, Caitlin, how's it going? I'm doing really well. How are you, Trip? I am fantastic. I'm excited to, to have you on the show today. Just a little background, actually. Caitlin and I met at a, a little get-together. It was, what was it exactly? It was like these kind of like five-minute talks that people gave. It's almost like a mini TED Talks. It was in Chicago, and and uh, and we met there, and she told me about what she does, and she was saying a lot of smart things, and I was like, mm-hmm. you got to come on the podcast, and here oh. we are. Well, thank you. Actually, I was I went to that same event last night. I was invited to be a speaker, so uh, to come full circle, I gave a conversation on uh, my own experiences with online dating and 
my passion into a career. So. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, Caitlin, you are the sexuality strategist at CaitlinVNeal.com. And so you specialize in helping men and women have fulfilling sex lives. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So I consider myself a sex coach, um, but I have worked as a sexual health researcher and policy analyst. So I combine art and science for my clients. So you know a lot about sex. I do. Yes. Awesome. Although there's always more to learn. So hopefully we'll both be learning something and exchanging ideas today. Oh, yeah, of course. There's always something to learn. Sex is a massive, massive field and there's so much to discuss. But today we're going to be kind of centering around this idea of uh, being non-monogamous, which basically, well, I'll let you define that. What does that mean to you? Oh, sure. So non-monogamy, in my opinion, is any relationship that's a, a romantic and sexual relationship that's open or where the partners are open to having other sexual and romantic relationships. And that can look like a lot of different things. And we use a lot of different terms for it. So um, we'll use the term monogamish, uh, open relationship, polyamory. So there's a lot of different ways to, uh, to structure a non-monogamous relationship, but essentially that is the core thing that combines them all together. Cool. You know what I think we should do right now? Let's Let's go through some keywords like this is school for a second and let's because there's so many different areas. It almost confuses me to be honest. You know, I've only had a couple people on the podcast talk about this, but you know, I think for this episode, it'd be cool to kind of go through some of the different types of relationships that one could have because I know in this uh, non-monogamish polyamorous type world, there's no real rules. You know, you kind of set your own rules. Totally. And with that being said, there's so many different types of non-monogamous relationships you could have. So maybe off the top of your head, do you want to tell us some of the ones that exist or that you've seen? Um, and, and you're non-monogamous as well. Is that correct? Yes. I, um, in, I am in a non-monogamous relationship. I identify as polyamorous um, and we'll get into like exactly what that means. So some of this experience is coming just from my own life and then also from working with my clients. So one of my favorite things to do as a coach is to help people figure out if monogamy is the right path for them. We tend to, as a culture, see monogamy as standard and everything else as, you know, uh, alternative. But I ask people who are in monogamous relationships why they chose monogamy. And that usually throws them for a loop because they're like, of course I chose monogamy. That's what everyone else in my life, my parents are monogamous, you know, monogamy is standard. And when we really dig into it and I ask them what's important to them about being monogamous, we tend to learn that they have a lot of ideas about what monogamy means. And monogamy can be a really extremely difficult standard for a couple in a long-term relationship to um, constantly meet. So I encourage a lot of my clients to consider some of these other forms of non-monogamous relationships. So I'll give you kind of a rundown from uh, from my own perspective, and there will be people who practice these things differently and use different names for them, but um, this should at least give you kind of a standard vocabulary uh, place to start from. Sounds so, great. Uh, we have monogamish, which is a term that was popularized by Dan Savage, who runs an excellent sex advice column, although he did not invent it. Um, and a monogamish relationship is something that is 
mostly monogamous. This could be two partners that only have sex with each other, but they are allowed to flirt and maybe even form some kind of emotional or romantic attractions with other people. Um, so on the light end, this could be, you know, you and your significant other go to a nightclub and you both dance with or flirt with other people. Um, for some people that's, that's, that can fall under monogamy, but for some people watching your significant other flirt with someone else that could feel threatening or unsafe. And so I consider that to be kind of a monogamish arrangement. So with that, it's not even necessary. Wow, that's this is already blowing my mind. I, I've, never, <laughs> I've never like I've always thought in the scale like I never thought it to be. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good word to say this. Like like not that simple, but um, maybe you can help me out. Like I I always imagined in terms of a, a monogamish or polyamorous relationship, it's all about someone somewhere in the relationship is sleeping with or having some sort of emotional relationship with someone else. But you're coming in and you're you're saying it doesn't even have to go that far. It can be just as simple as, hey, you know, I'm going to flirt and have fun and, and, you know, almost in a sort of way act single, maybe not follow through with anything, you know, through the rest of the night, but, you know, flirting and and casual touching is like, okay. Being open to forming connections, even if they're short-term connections, with other people that are not your significant other. So for me, and I I agree with your perspective, I think for most people, when we think of non-monogamy, we're thinking really a lot about physical touch and sexuality, but there are different kinds of attractions that human beings share. So I can be romantically attracted to someone, I can be sexually attracted to someone, and sometimes those two things come hand in hand. And so... I think it's important for someone who's considering or just wants to learn more about non-monogamy to really get clear on the many different ways that two human beings can interact and can be attracted to each other. And I think that is, you know, um, having the opportunity to like maybe share some like light touch or grinding or dancing with another person in a club space or something like that can be um, just like a really great way to whet your appetite for your partner, to see your other, to see your partner flirting with other people and be reminded that, um, you're not, you know, the only person who finds them sexually attractive. Like even just that can do a lot for a relationship in kind of like reigniting a spark. Um, and, and I think it can be like a really wonderful way to start to explore non-monogamy. And then the term monogamish could apply much further down the line to people who are sharing sexual relationships with other people. So this could be a couple that occasionally invites a third in um, for threesomes and just has a sexual relationship with that person. To me, you're not monogamous because you're having sex with other people, even if it's together. So that would be kind of on the other end of a monogamish arrangement. Okay, got it. So you're talking about inviting someone else in um, but only for sexual reasons, or could it be for uh, an emotional connection as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. So you could include a third in your emotional relationship and have sex with them, or not have sex with them. Um, I think for most couples, the place where they start creating divisions and defining things is when physical touch and sex are being shared with other people. Because otherwise, you could kind of see it as just like a really close friendship or an intimate friendship to involve someone emotionally in your relationship in that way. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, cool. Uh, let's keep going. What other types of relationships are there? Sure. So 
I also really like to talk about open relationships. Um, and they're, like I said, this is a, kind of a distinction without a difference. Um, monogamish could cover a whole lot of area. And so could the word open relationship. So um, usually open relationships can include physical touch and emotional interest intimacy. Um, you might have an arrangement where both partners are allowed to seek uh, sexual partners outside of their relationship. Maybe they're allowed to have emotional relationships with those partners. Some people put limitations like, I, um, you know, it's okay for you to have sex with the same person multiple times, but I want to have like an upper limit on the amount of time that you spend together on any given week. Right. And that's the idea that if you were spending a lot of time together and also having sex, that you might be developing an emotional relationship outside of the bounds of your primary relationship. So I'll use the word primary relationship. Um, and I hope that that can be uh, easily understood by everyone to just mean like your, your main relationship, the person who you have uh, made a long-term commitment with. When we get into polyamory in a second here, I'll break down that definition a little bit further, but usually you make a, you have an understanding with your primary partner. Um, it could be don't ask, don't tell. So you're having sex with people and you're not talking about it with your partner. I don't usually recommend that because it's really hard when you don't know what's going on your imagination can make things way more interesting than they actually ever are. Um, there can be a, a situation where you disclose if you're asked to disclose, but not unless, um, or continuous disclosure where every time that something happens or you have an opportunity to have physical intimacy or sex with another person, you're disclosing that to your partner. You might have certain people that are on or off limits. So you might say, you can meet people on Tinder just for sex and short-term uh, physical intimacy, but I really don't want you to go out on dates with your coworkers or our friends. So open relationships and monogamous relationships can have uh, sets of rules or boundaries or guidelines, which I think is really important if you're considering opening up your relationship to really get clear on where your limitations are and then have conversations about what you're comfortable with and why you're not comfortable with something. Um, Another uh, kind of uh, non-monogamous relationship configuration would be swingers. So we tend to think, I, when I hear the word swingers, I frequently think of like the 70s, like a lot of bush, um, key parties, you know, people pulling keys out of a, a, a bowl at a party, you know, at someone's home. And to be fair, swing, swinging has gotten a really bad rap. Um, there are plenty of people who you would consider today swingers. They go to other couples or other parties and have sex with other people. But that almost never includes a level of emotional intimacy. In most swinging relationships, it's really strictly about having sex with different people. Um, you might you know, be friends with those people, but you're not necessarily entering into a emotionally attached relationship between you know one couple and another couple. Um, and there's a couple different kinds of ways that people swing. So one of them is called a uh, hard swap. And that's when you actually are having sex with another person's spouse or significant other. And another one is called a soft swap. And that might mean some physical contact, but it can also just mean two couples having sex in the same room. Um, and so there's a lot of different configurations when it comes to that as well. Wow, there's so much. I feel like you only hit the tip of the iceberg too. Yeah, well, and I'd love to tell you more about polyamory, which is, um, you know, my... For me, polyamory incorporates sex and emotional intimacy in a way that um, 
that some of these other relationship configurations don't. Because you could be like a heterosexual man and in an open relationship with a heterosexual or bisexual woman. And being in an open relationship just describes your relationship. It doesn't really describe you. It doesn't describe your identity. Polyamory, I see as more of an actual identity. So I'm a bisexual polyamorous woman who has a male primary partner and other partners that are male and female. And the way that polyamory works for me and that I define it for other people for my own life is having uh, space for ongoing emotional and sexual relationships with more than one person. So I have a partner who I love very deeply and I also have other partners who I care for very deeply and I have different levels of emotional and sexual intimacy with those other partners. And I don't see this configuration in my life as kind of um, taking away love or intimacy from my primary partner. I see it as adding a whole level of complexity and interest. And it allows me to uh, to look at my partner, my primary partner, um, and accept them for everything that, that they are, exactly who they are, and all the needs of mine that they meet. Because there are things that I need and want from other relationships that he's not always able to provide me. Um, what would be an example of that? So for an example, he isn't super politically engaged, for example, and I really like to uh, get down on some politics. I, um, I enjoy like political theater and having conversations about that kind of stuff, but he's really not that into it. And so I have other partners who really are interested in that as well. So that like adds a layer of, uh, of interests to our relationships. Um, and obviously my, my primary partner is a man. So because I'm bisexual and I also enjoy having sex with women, he obviously can't meet all of those needs physically. Um, and so I, instead of just having, uh, you know, in, instead of just having an open relationship where I'm allowed to go have sex with women, we have a relationship that allows me to form ongoing emotional relationships with women. And that's, that is what works for me and for us. Um, and is there anyone entering the relationship with both of you or is it just you separate and him separate when it comes to, um, other relationships? Well, so it, in our own life, it has happened in both ways. So we've had people that both of us were in a relationship with, and, um, we've had situations where one of us was more interested in a person than the other one was. And there wasn't that connection there, but honestly, I've seen so many different polyamorous relationships happen in so many different ways. Um, you know, there are configurations in which one person has sex with two people, um, but those people don't ever have sex with each other. There are configurations where all three people do have sex with each other, maybe at the same time, maybe in pairs separately, but never together um, as a threesome. So any way that you can imagine a configuration going, there is definitely at least one example of people that are out there and making it work. I feel like it's endless. There's so many different combinations that we're getting into like into math, like factorials. <laughs> you know, well, Isn't that one of the greatest things about human relationships is that they are so complex and the longer that you know people or the more that your social networks overlap, the more layers of complexity you develop. Um, if these people in your life are important to you. And if you care about them, then it makes sense that your relationships with them would change over time, um, to become more and less intimate as you know, your circumstances dictate. So it's one of the things that I really like about it is it makes space for all of that nuance. Right. Right. And here's a question. You know, you say that your, your current primary is, 
is not into politics as much as you are. So my question for you is, you know, why can't you go outside and and the relationship and make friends who have those interests? Why is that is that specifically combined with, um, with a with a I don't know a lover or something sexual or or a deeper emotional connection? I think for me, as much as I could go talk about politics with friends, and I definitely do, there's something that's really attractive to me about people that are very passionate in that area. So that's mm. where I would uh, draw the distinction. I love talking about those things with my friends, but I'm very attracted to people that are extremely politically passionate. Um, and so that is, that's where that kind of distinction comes in. And I think personally making, um, like lowering some of the boundaries between the distinction between lover and friend and like being clear and and intentional about the way that you handle those relationships, but not resisting the urge to over categorize people is part of my personal exploration in having an open relationship. Interesting. Okay. Have you ever, have you ever been in a situation where you're talking to or I should say flirting with a guy or a girl. And, you know, it seems like there's sexual connection there and things are starting to kind of move forward. And, well, I guess at this point, my question would be, do you tell them? And if you do tell them that you're in a uh, open relationship, has anyone ever been, has anyone, and I don't want to say scared, but has anyone backed off, you know, once they heard that? So I guess it's a two-part question. <laughs> Um, so to answer your second question, yes, people have definitely backed off. And I think a lot of that has to do with them wanting to be in a monogamous relationship. And so they recognize that since I'm not available to be in a monogamous relationship, that they would better spend their efforts and their energy, um, elsewhere. And so the first part of your question do I tell people? I try to disclose my relationship status um, as quickly as possible because I am only interested in attracting and sleeping with and forming connections with partners who kind of know the full story. Um, I don't want it to be a surprise later. I don't want us to get really close and then, you know, for her to find out that I have a male primary partner and her not you know, be open to that kind of configuration. So I try to give people as much information up front. Um, you know, sometimes you're at like a nightclub and you're dancing and it's really not possible for you to share that information right away. But I try to do it as soon as, as soon as possible, as soon as like the circumstance allows me to share that. Um, I just think it's important that people can make their own decisions with the most information that you can share. Totally. And I, I even think it allows for, you know, if they don't back off, if they're not scared of it, I think the connection grows even deeper. You know, it's going to be even better than just, you know, holding off and either not telling them or telling them later on or something like that. But I think it it's kind of a, a win-win for you to, for you or anybody to be upfront about it. And, you know, it just, it feels good, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It feels, when you can really be your most authentic self with anyone, a potential partner or not, that is like one of the best feelings that I think we can uh, aim to achieve. Totally. And I, I definitely, you know, promote that on this, on this podcast is as much as possible trying to access your authentic self. Cause it definitely is, uh, the, the thing that gets you 
farther and farther in not only your love life, but in your in your personal life as well. So absolutely. So Caitlin, tell us about, you know, how the guy who's listening right now, who might be interested in a non-monogamous relationship, an open relationship, a polyamorous relationship, what are the steps that this person can take to explore this or to see if this is something for for them? I think step one is probably listening to this podcast episode and getting an idea of what it all means and and the definitions and what kind of options are out there. But after Definitely. listening to something like this, where do they go from here? So I would do your research first. Listen to this podcast and then go look at books like The Ethical Slut, which is um, one of the most – one of the – best written guides to it also a lot of really interesting kind of um things that you can practice like questions that you can ask yourself so it's very practical it's not just theoretical really uh, upon reading that book you should have a better understanding of what all these things mean and what they mean to you in particular so the second thing that you can do after that kind of research phase is get really, really clear on why it is that you want to have a non-monogamous relationship and understanding that there's no wrong answer. It could just be that you want to be allowed to have sex with people who aren't your primary partner. Like that's a totally legitimate reason to want to be in a non-monogamous relationship. Um, and it might be something like you don't see love as a zero sum game. You feel like you have a lot of emotional, um, commitment and support and love to give and that you want to give it to multiple people. So those are, those are really great and totally valid reasons to want to be in a non-monogamous relationship. But there are some reasons that are not, uh, not good reasons to get into a non-monogamous relationship. So the primary uh, one is that you need to fix your relationship, that there's something wrong in your current relationship and you're hoping that opening it up, having sex with other people will do something to fix it. So that could be like, you think that uh, your partner takes you for granted. And if you start having sexual and emotional relationships with other people, then they won't do that anymore. So that's not a great reason to go into this. Um, you need to focus on fixing your primary relationship and figuring out what's wrong there before you can consider opening up to other people. Um, you also need to make sure that mo both people, both parties are interested equally in a non-monogamous relationship. If you're really, really into it and your girlfriend is just like so not on board, it's not going to work. Um, you're just not going to be able to find a uh, happy medium, at least not right away. You might be able to work there. You might be able to share some resources with her, have her do the same research that you did. Talk to her about what your reasons are, but if she feels coerced or she feels like she's being forced into it, then it's going to backfire and explode later down the line. Okay. Okay. So that, so that's kind of, that's the, that's the second step. Um, so you've done your research, you've figured out, you've gotten really clear, um, on, on what, what your intention is in opening your relationship. And then the third step is to create plans. Um, you want to set boundaries. We kind of talked on this a little bit earlier. A really great example is say you decide that you're going to have sexual relationships with other people, um, but you don't want your partner to spend the night. You want them to come home to you, sleep, you know, or maybe you live separately. You want them to go home though. You want them to not, um, 
not sleep over at their sexual partner's place. And your reasoning for this could be because that's an intimate thing. It could be that it uh, signals some kind of emotional commitment to you. It could mean any number of things. But if, if you know that it makes you uncomfortable and you are able to articulate why it makes you uncomfortable and they agree to it, then put it down, put it down in writing. Don't leave any kind of gray area wherever you can avoid it because there's enough gray area in this already. There's a gray area inherent in just having human relationships. So you're going to want to write these things down. Come up with like a really specific list of guidelines and something that I'm really passionate about. Figure out how you're going to practice safer sex with these other people. So are you cool with your significant other giving a blowjob to another dude without a condom? Or do you want her to always use a condom even for oral sex? Um, are you okay with her having uh, anal sex with another partner? Do you want them to always use a condom then? I mean, my recommendation is to always use a barrier because especially when you're opening up your relationship to other sexual partners, there has to be an extremely high level of trust between the two of you. But then you are also kind of in a position where you have to trust their other partners. And if you don't have the opportunity to meet them, if you never see their STI test results, you should just encourage everyone to practice safer sex because it will make everything so much easier um, when you don't have to worry about STIs coming into your relationship. Right. And is that, is that something that you do? You know, how do you make sure you practice safe sex when you're uh, venturing out with other males and females in your relationship? Sure. So because I'm a sexual health educator, uh, I really love getting into the weeds on this. And my partner and I, my primary partner and I have gone through and talked about almost every sex act that you can imagine. Um, any combination of like hands, fingers, face, mouth, genitals, but the whole nine yards. Um, and the more that you think about it, the more that you realize that there are almost an infinite number of ways that you can um, exchange fluids with another human being. So we've talked about licking the, the inside of someone's ear. Yeah, everything, right? I mean, there's so many there's so many ways that you could interact that you'll be in a position you'll think, "Oh my gosh, did I say I would use a barrier for this?" And doing research and knowing about your STI risks, um, you know, your own status, if there are things that you need to disclose to other partners, if like your partner has had herpes but you've never had an outbreak, you should probably share that with any potential other partners. So there's a lot of things that can go into creating safer sex practices. But we have talked about things as, as simple as, you know, not fingering someone if you have a cut on your hand or using a glove. I'm really big on using um, elastic gloves for having any kind of digital genital interaction. Um, and even for myself, just because it takes this level of concern and worry out of the equation. Like it's already awkward enough to have to explain you have this other relationship, but you want to have sex with this person and then also have to worry about uh, maybe contracting an STI. Like just practice safer sex so that you don't have to worry about that. Focus on, you know, the awkwardness that is just establishing a new relationship without adding any other complications to it. So those are some things that you definitely want to consider. Something that I really uh, suggest couples sit down and do as individuals and then come together is a yes, no, maybe chart. And I recommend this to almost all of my couple clients, actually almost all of my clients, because we have such a limited idea because we're working only based off of our own experience, things that we've heard from our friends and maybe porn, but that's it. That's all we've got for considering what the entire like 
array of sexual options are out there. And there's so much. Even we started off by talking about, I learned stuff all the time. I've been working in this field for a decade now, and I still come across all kinds of new ideas and practices. So I guess now maybe chart will list out a long number. Typically, um, the one I use is about 300 lines and it will list out things like, um, tongue kissing another partner, um, being spanked by a partner, right? It can get into some, um, some different areas of sexual play. Mine also includes like an area on, um, BDSM and alternative sex practices. So the yes, no, baby chart can go from like very simple to spooning and cuddling another partner to, um, you know, uh, having like, uh, a male partner, um, ejaculate into your mouth as opposed to, you know, not, not into your mouth. So like there can be any number of lines on this yes, no, maybe chart. And each partner can go through and say for themselves, like, I'm okay with this and not okay with that. I might consider that. So yes, no, and maybe, and you can even include things like sexual fantasies that you're kind of interested in and you're not sure your partner's into, or, they're definitely not into, but you might be interested in exploring those with another person. It's a great tool to uh, really, really get into the specific areas that you need to get into with your partner so that they don't go out, have a sexual encounter, come back and tell you that they let this other person like tie them up and spank them, and then realize that that was a boundary that you didn't know you had after it's been crossed. You can save yourself a lot of heartache by filling out one of those charts and then having really open and honest and repeated communication with your partner before you ever go to have physical contact with another person. Where can someone find a chart like that? Do you have one available? I absolutely do. Um, and if any of your listeners want to send me an email, um, you can email info at caitlinvneal.com. That's C-A-I-T-L-I-N. V is in Victor, N-E-A-L.com. Um, and I would be happy to email that out to them. I actually keep them all as Google Docs so that they can really easily be shared by any other partner or any person who I want to be able to share that with. Awesome. I will email you after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy <laughs> to share that. So, so in addition to kind of getting into that, um, the specifics that I would consider that's like step three, write out your agreement, get into the specifics and then uh, step four is to talk about it. Like talk about it a lot. Talk about it to a degree that you don't think that you can talk about it anymore. Talk about it until you're absolutely blue in the face. Because the more that you talk about it, the more of a deep understanding that you're going to develop of what your intentions are, what you'd really like to happen. You might think you really want this thing to happen, but in truth, it's just that you want another kind of intimacy with a different person. The more that you talk about it, the further along those lines you're going to get, the more things you're going to discover before anything happens. And then step five, and this is the most important step, I think, is that you have to jump out of the plane. Um, you've, to use a metaphor here, you've kind of packed your parachute. You've done all the prep work. You can kind of anticipate what's going to happen. You can anticipate that you're going to feel jealousy. You're going to feel jealousy. I will tell you that right now. You will feel jealousy. You will feel anxiety. Those are not things that you need to avoid. They're just kind of part of the package. So come up with a plan for how you're going to deal with that. Come up for a plan for how lonely it might feel knowing that your partner is out on a date with someone else when you don't also have a date scheduled that night. Know that you're going to like watch your favorite movie or play video games or take a bath, whatever it is, like make all of those plans. And then you have to 
actually go out and you actually have to do it. Like pack your parachute and then jump out of the plane and understand that you're going to hit some speed bumps on the way down, but that you have a plan in place and you've done the thought work beforehand. And so you know that you're going to be able to deal with those things as they come up and you find that those things actually strengthen your relationship at the end of the day. That's great. That was a really great five step plan. Let me ask you, <laughs> let me ask you another question that might be like step point five, because I think you nailed it. Um, but what about a guy who doesn't have a girlfriend? Cause I know a lot of people who are listening probably don't have a girlfriend yet. So is there any advice you could give to the guy who wants to try this out, but isn't in a relationship yet. So I guess I'll be more specific. Is there, um, is there a way to meet other people who are interested in this? So is there a way for a guy to seek out um, a girl, a woman, whoever, who is in the same boat? Or do you just kind of, you know, date and do your thing and you tell people, kind of what you're interested in, what you're looking for, you know, where does, how does all that come together, you know, before you're in a relationship? Sure. That's a great question. And actually the terminology that I am most familiar with in this area is solo poly. So you don't have to be in a monogamous or non-monogamous relationship in order to identify as polyamorous or um, identify as someone who is interested in non-monogamy. And so there are people out there that are already doing that, that already identify as solo poly, that maintain relationships with other people who might also have other relationships. Um, I know for someone that I used to date, actually the first kind of polyamorous relationship that I was in, uh, I was dating a, a man who had a girlfriend, another girlfriend, and her girlfriend had a uh, boyfriend, but he didn't have any other relationship. He just had, um, he had a relationship with her and she was, you know, dating at least one other person. So he was, he came into that as a solo poly person. Um, so I would say, unless you're interested in really specific sex practices, like if you're interested in BDSM and things like that, then you can get into the community as a single male through going through meetings, um, munches, meet and greets, stuff like that. Um, unfortunately, most of those areas like swingers and sex clubs, a lot of them don't allow solo men in, which is really unfortunate, but they will allow men if they're accompanied with like a couple. So if you know of a couple of friends of yours or, um, that are interested in swinging or sex clubs or things along those lines, they can often vouch for you and get you in. And that would allow you to meet more people in those spaces. And then lastly, I would say be open about that. Um, if you're online dating, you could put that in your profile, like solo poly person here interested in non-monogamous relationships, because that's going to be like a, an indicator for someone who's looking at you and someone who's, browsing your Tinder might be browsing it with her boyfriend right there. You know, she could be in an open relationship. So when you, when you indicate to her that you're interested in that kind of thing, or that's an arrangement that you would be um, interested in considering, not only are you being really your fully authentic self in online dating, which can be hard, but obviously super rewarding. Um, but you're, you're going to open yourself up to other potentials that, um, that people who might also be interested in polyamorous relationships or in non-monogamous relationships because they don't go out of their way to signal their interest, um, they might get passed over. Whereas you're 
going to be indicating your interest and that might kind of increase your value to someone who is also looking for that kind of relationship. Right. Totally. Is, is a solo poly, is that someone who wouldn't have a primary? Yes. So something I didn't mention when we talked about poly earlier is that there's two main ways in which polyamorous relationships are configured. And one of them is hierarchical. So I have a primary partner and then I hate the term, but I kind of have secondary partners and they know that my primary partner and I and the relationship that we share is going to take precedent over the relationships that I share with them. Um, and they, they understand that and everyone is in agreement around that and we all communicate really openly around that. And I don't think that any of them see that as like a lower status or something like that. Um, but there are people who don't like that kind of configuration and they want to practice a more kind of anarchical version. Like it, it's uh, anarchy, anarchist poly where everyone is equal. I could have one relationship with this person and another relationship with another person. And they might mean totally different things to me, but no one relationship is going to take precedence over any other relationship. Um, so you could engage in solo poly and just be someone secondary. You could engage in solo poly and have a relationship with someone who doesn't have um, a hierarchical arrangement for their other relationships. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, does it go even deeper, like tertiary, you know, like a third? <laughs> well, if you think about it like that, you do have um, relationships between your metamors. So your metamors in, in poly are your secondaries or your all of your lovers together, or your lovers' lovers. Um, and they do share a relationship. They might share a social relationship. They might know each other. They might see each other on Facebook. They might be friends. You guys might all go to picnics together. They might you know, have um, other intimate relationships. Like I said, there's a million different ways to configure things. And because they have a vested health related interest in that they have sex with the same people. So they're sharing partners, they're potentially passing fluids around between other people. A really great example of that is um, when a, when a flu came through one of the um, polyamorous communities that I used to do at, uh, sexual health education with, eventually every single person who is a part of that group of people that, that kind of intimate, um, polycule, we call them, um, would get the flu. So they have other things that they need to, that they can coordinate around and that they can share and that they can act as resources for each other. You know, sometimes people have children and they share living spaces and they can share childcare responsibilities. And when I say that there are an infinite number of ways of arranging your you know, open relationship. I really do mean it. Yeah. I mean, I still think, I still feel that we only scratch the surface here and, and hit the tip of the iceberg. But, but I also feel you kind of gave us a really good, you know, introduction to some of the main ways that relationships in this polyamorous space can be formed. So, I mean, yeah, this was, this was fantastic. Like I said, I've, I've interviewed a few other people where this has been a topic, uh, but I almost wish I interviewed you first because this was way more educational and understanding like how it all works, you know. So um, if you're if you're listening right now, you know, and you want to get into some of the other episodes, check those out. Um, but this is definitely kind of one of the episodes where I feel like we got a a thorough understanding of of how it all works and and the interconnectedness but again like you said there's an infinite number of possibilities and i don't think you really need to know what those possibilities are i think 
you know, and Caitlin, you'd, you'd be better at giving advice in this area, but I just, I feel that if this is something that someone's interested in, something they want to explore, you just kind of got to go out there and do it and you learn as you go and you just feel what's right for you and what works for you and and then you kind of can come up with the, with the combination that you want and what, yes. what feels right and, and openly communicate with people about it. Exactly. Don't be afraid to throw away those ideas about how relationships are supposed to work, how uh, jealousy is supposed to operate. Like if those things don't apply to you, then don't, don't include them in your relationship. You really have the freedom to make your relationships look and feel and operate exactly the way that works best for you. So don't be limited by, um, by the role models that you've had or the relationships that you've witnessed, like really figure out what works best for you and then do everything that you can with the tools that trip is giving you that I'm going to make available to you that the ethical slut explains to you, like utilize those tools and create relationships that work for you. Absolutely. Well said. Kaylin, thank you so much for being here with us and teaching us, uh, you know, this kind of introductory course on on non-monogamous relationships. Uh, go check her out. She is so smart, as you can already tell. I don't even have to tell you. You've listened so far to enough of her great wisdom at CaitlinVNeal.com. And uh, if you're listening to this later on, you might be going to Sexuality Strategist. Dot com. I'll put that all in the show notes. Kaylin, thanks so much. Any last words? Thank you. No, just that I would love to come back. So if any of your listeners want to send me or send you topics that they'd like to hear us discuss more, I would be delighted to um, pick up this conversation again. Totally. Absolutely. Kaylin, thank you so much. And please check her out. Go check out her stuff. If any of this interests you, if you have any issues uh, with sex or questions about sex, she is the woman to go to. Caitlin Don't Neal. forget to subscribe to the podcast and write a review. Over 18 and want a question answered on the podcast? Email all your questions to trip at tripadvice.com.